Welcome, everyone, to BAMS Radio. Uh, you know, we, uh, we're a little later this week. Uh, we didn't record this weekend. Uh, we had, uh, of course, we had the conflicting schedules uh, for our trio uh, that, that usually brings you these episodes. Uh, but So we decided to do it on a Monday, uh, Monday evening here. I'm Drew DeArmond, host of BAMS Radio, with my two other co-hosts and producer extraordinaire, Thomas the Wizard Watts is here with us, and, of course, William Redfish Barger, uh, from 88 to 93, uh, member of the Crimson Tide, a noted insider close to the program, and, of course, a 1992 national champion. All together again to recap what we're hearing, the buzz coming out of Scrimmage 2 for the University of Alabama Crimson Tide. We always love bringing you BAMS Radio, and uh, we will now give you about an hour's worth of buzz that we've heard as we discuss the Crimson Tide. This is now less than two weeks until their opener, August 31st, uh, against the Duke Blue Devils in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Well, first of all, uh, William, uh, welcome back to BAMS Radio. Uh, I hope you're having a good Monday evening tonight. Uh, I know we just got through catching up on uh, Tide 102, 100.9. I got to co- correct that. I know I was uh, sitting in for Ryan Fowler. You joined us. And you, you brought some of your thoughts on the offensive and defensive line, and we'll we'll, we'll continue to uh, delve back into that uh, in our conversation tonight. But how you doing this evening? Man, I'm doing great, Drew. I hope you've had a, a good start to your week as well. Yeah, it's been a long day, man. Done six hours of radio. This will be seven, uh, but uh, that's Woo. what you have to do for a living man. And, uh, you know, it's a lot worse things to do than get paid to talk. And so, especially college football and Alabama football. But now we're going to bring in Thomas Watts, the wizard. Uh, he uh, is going to be back with us yet again. He keeps this show rolling, as always, from the Port City of Mobile. Thomas, great to connect with you tonight. How are you, sir? I'm pretty good, Drew. And uh, if you want to change jobs, I've got some systems you could build that kind of make you want to pull your hair out. Yeah, it'd probably, <laughs> I would probably be making more money. But yeah, like I say, man, you're above my pay grade. Uh, I'd probably not. Uh, I've always been good at uh, talking sports, not so much the other stuff. But certainly uh, we know uh, you're finishing your doctorate and uh, you're you're on a fast track. And we congratulate you for all you've done. And uh, also for the insight and the what you bring to this podcast. We think it's the best one for Alabama football. I've certainly had my phone blown up and been asked millions, many, many times since Saturday when, when we were going to bring them, uh, you know, p- p- bring our listeners uh, the buzz we were hearing and then we're going to start it tonight. And I guess the first thing that comes out of the scrimmage guys is, uh, you know, is the, 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 the injury situation. Once again, they suffer a couple during the scrimmage, the biggest one being Jerome Ford, uh, the running back, who was the star of scrimmage one, a 70-plus yard touchdown run against the ones uh, in that scrimmage and probably 130, 140 yards rushing. Early in the scrimmage, he's, he was with the ones. As you know, it's Nick Saban's protocol. He did not give Najee Harris and Brian Robinson a lot of work. Jerome was getting work and did not have the apparatus on his hamstring, so he seemed to be not as banged up as he was the week before. But on a, on a, on a run that uh, went to, uh, to the left side, he broke a tackle. The second and third effort, uh, Markel Benton was scraping down and, and made the tackle. Now, as always on Twitter, you know, it, 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 it's not the most accurate place to go. Uh, there were some, some – uh, and on the Internet, there was people uh, claiming he was horse-collared. He was not horse-collared by Markel Benton, but uh, he did try to break the tackle. He got twisted up during the stop from as Markel stayed with it and made the stop. And, you know, it led when it first happened. I'm going to be honest, guys. It looked like a knee injury. He uh, he grabbed for his knee. You know, it was really a scary situation. 
you're thinking, oh, this is a Josh McMillan thing all over again. He was taken back from the locker room pretty much immediately. And but I will, I know you guys, uh, William and Thomas, you guys have been parts of uh, this podcast for a long time. You know Jimmy Stein, LJS Law. I was able to catch up with him uh, after the scrimmage, and you know, and we were talking, and he had a good friend that was inside Bryant Denny Stadium as part of the Red Elephant Club. And he, you know, he and he uh, and he was he was on the field, and as far as in the stands, because I'm telling you guys, it was so hot. Uh, most people were behind the glass. I can tell you that. Uh, but you know, they they uh, you know he he had seen Jerome come back to the sidelines uh, and uh, and stand on the sidelines without the uh, help of crutches. So it turns out it was a an ankle, maybe not as se- severe as, of course, Stefan. Uh, you know, uh, Wynn Jr., who went down with uh, torn ligaments and had to have surgery for a high ankle sprain, but it turned into a, a, high, a, a probably a mild high ankle sprain for Jerome Ford. He'll be out about a week, should be back before Duke. So that was huge for Alabama to dodge that bullet. And then we, from what we're hearing, Raquan Davis uh, went down with a slight ankle injury, but he showed a lot of toughness by coming back out, from what I'm told. He was gone for about 15 minutes, came back, and then rotated in and out limping, uh, but still was able to practice and go through the scrimmage. And William, uh, for, for a guy that knows it's his money year, I think it was telling that he took that kind of approach to this scrimmage. He could have took the rest of the scrimmage off, but I think he wanted to be a leader for his team. Yeah, and I think he's kind of, you know, taken the bull by the horns and tried to assume that role, you know, back during the off-season conditioning program, Drew, and you know, it's 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 funny to me to you know see all the panic and you know anytime there's a scrimmage, everybody you know wrings their hands and prays for no injuries and you know it just baffles me because you know the the NCAA has basically crippled um, college coaches you know with, with you know the 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 killing of two a days and you can't have two full pad practices in a row and. You know, you hardly even practice anymore in the spring, and it's it's real difficult. You know, the the fan base wants to see a tough physical product, yet they freak out when the coaches attempt to try and create that product. Um, you know, it's there has to be scrimmages, there has to be tough physical practices. It's gonna be hot. You know, people are gonna get hurt. Ankles are gonna get rolled up. Knees are gonna get sprained. I mean, you you don't want to see you know, surgical procedures as a result of that. But, um, you know, nobody is 100%, um, you know, go, going into, uh, you know, the last couple of practices in August before school starts. You know, that that was, you know, back in the, the dark ages when I was playing, we were in, we were in two-a-day practices. Uh, it was the only time of the year that people were glad to see classes start. <laughs> right, uh, because that 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 signaled to us. Thank God, you know, two days are over, um, and it was, you know, two practices, three hours each. You know, shoulder pads and helmets in the morning, which for you know O line D line was full speed. There just wasn't tackling to the ground and full pads in the afternoon. And man, I can remember some days just I, I was so tired I didn't even want to climb the two flights of steps to uh, get in my bed in my dorm room at Bryant Hall. I just slept on one of the couches in the lobby in between practices. Yeah, so, it, you know, it, it's it's not a, it's not fun, but, you know, man, there, there's no sense in losing your mind every time somebody tweaks an ankle or, you know, gets a stinger or whatever. Um, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of, of the horse collar rule myself. You know, it's it's a real 
difficult thought process to go through when you're out there making a full speed tackle as a linebacker and you know they've got spandex jerseys now there's nothing to grab a hold of and your hand slips back in that gap between the shoulder pads and the the body and you know shit you're going to take them down however you can so um i don't know it's, it's just frustrating when it when you you know you get 50 text messages post scrimmage who you know this guy's hurt that guy's hurt you know it's the end of the world and um, it's just part of it. It happens. And, you know, I think Alabama is really fortunate that, you know, they've gone through fall camp so far. And at least for a, you know, on a, on a full season's perspective, you know, they, they've only, you know, lost two guys for the year so far and Trey Sanders and Joshua McMillan. So that's a pretty, um, you know, pretty good, you know, result of a, of a real physical period in the, the football calendar. Yeah, that's a great point. And, uh, and Thomas, I'll bring you into the conversation. Uh, it's obvious though, that Alabama, they, they, they dodged a bullet with four. They don't need him to get injured though, because you still got to have backs, man. And you, especially for practice. Uh, and I and ideally, I think they're going to rotate three and even four guys. I feel like Jerome Ford, Keelan Robinson will earn roles because they, this has become a, a marathon from the standpoint of if you're Alabama, you still treat it like almost three five game seasons because you're you're trying to get to the tournament and uh, and down the stretch in November, all those games are like uh, playoff games. And then when you get into the SEC championship game and then the college football playoff, it's we know what the, what's at stake. So they need the, the to have Najee Harris and Brian Robinson healthy. In order to do that, you got to have other guys to to take off some of the load, like a, a Jerome Ford, like a Keelan Robinson, maybe even a Darius Townsend. So for Alabama to avoid a long-term injury to Ford is, is I think, significant, and they got to keep this backfield healthy because I think this is going to be a different style of offense but based on the running game and more play action to help Tua Tungabailoa. Well, last week I said the running backs, you know, losing Trey Sanders is very unfortunate, no doubt about that. But Alabama had enough depth that they could sustain it. Right. Now, you know, as as another one could potentially have bitten the dust, obviously that did not happen. Suddenly it becomes much more critical. You know, Alabama could maybe, maybe sustain one more injury. But your marathon point is very apt. And for all of the back and forth from the Clemson faithful to the Alabama faithful and the Alabama faithful to the Clemson faithful – in terms of so-and-so plays a harder schedule, blah, blah, blah. You know, numbers numbers can lie, but long, long-term trends are generally accurate. And the SEC is much more of a grind than the ACC. It just is. I, I don't if, – if you don't believe that, you simply don't like math. And if you don't like math, then just don't talk to me because you're probably stupid. But <laughs> the, the – so it is it is a marathon and Alabama has to get through as much as they can, as healthy as they can, because, again, talking about what's happened in the past, you know, you can go back to I believe it was 2013. The beginning of the end for Alabama's three Pete was Vinny Sanceri tearing his ACL on a kick, def- uh, a kickoff coverage. Yeah. A- and you go to, you know, Alabama Clemson two and it was reported, I believe, in the Players' Tribune, I think Jonathan Allen brought this up, that both Sean Deion Hamilton and Eddie Jackson were screaming, watch the pick. Mm-hmm. Now, 
you know, the Sean Deon Hamilton injury triggers me for a multitude of reasons because championships have to matter. Otherwise, why the hell do we play them? But that's a that's a rant that's, you know, later on in the year. But, you know, that just underscores the point. I'll go to my grave saying if those two players didn't get hurt, Alabama wins the national championship that year because defending a pick is a thing that you can do, but you have to be you have to anticipate it and you almost have to cheat. It's very hard to defend, but it's not impossible. But anyway, dodging the Ford injury is a big deal because, again, you are going to these guys are going to get some they're going to get run more. I think, you, you know, we spoke about this and I think Williams going to get much more into this when we're talking about the offensive line. There are a bunch of big, powerful guys that are being deployed by this offensive by Kyle Flood in the Alabama offense. So it almost sets up for more. Get behind me and let's run some dudes over. That takes some grinding. You know, not Najee Harris is a great player. We haven't seen him carry the load like Derrick Henry did a few years ago. So there needs to be a rotation of some kind. And even Derrick Henry, for all of his carries, had some relief with Kenyon Drake. Yeah. So so your point's very accurate. I will say, you know, I was kind of keeping an eye on Twitter throughout the scrimmage. And I pretty much decided I finally just texted somebody. I'm like, if you listen to Twitter, Jerome Ford. Just his leg just fell off at Bright Diddy Stadium, just spontaneously combusted. So I'm going to get off Twitter now because that's just silly. Yeah, there was a lot of overreaction, no doubt about it, and on message boards. Uh, But now to go back to William and and this offensive line, I thought it was interesting, William, from what we're hearing. uh, Chris Owens, of course, got time with the ones as expected, but very quickly Landon Dickerson was uh, rotated in with the ones, played with the twos also. But it just seems like for a guy that didn't get here till August, he is on the fast track to winning a job in this top five. I've been told that he's just being considered right now by the team as too good. They they can't keep him out of that top five. I know there's still just under two weeks to go. I still think it's trending to Dickerson winning the the, the center job now. As you you pointed out earlier on Tide 100.9, you'd have to do that in pencil. Owens is still going to battle. This is not over by any stretch. I still think I'm leaning toward my gut telling me that Dickerson will be the guy. Uh, your thoughts on on his rise and then this offensive line as a whole, because I'm going to be honest with you. There's been a lot of con- the conversation about Pete Golding being the D.C. and Charles Kelly and, uh, of course, Sal Sinceri joining that defensive staff and Steve Sarkeesian. I don't think Kyle Flood is being given enough credit for the job that I think he's capable of doing. There's a lot of people that gnashed their teeth when he was hired because – Falcons didn't make the playoffs the both years he was there. And then the way he ended at, excuse me, at Rutgers, but that is irrelevant. What he did as a head coach is irrelevant to his body of work as an assistant under Greg Schiano. I think Kyle Flood is going to be an outstanding addition. Your thoughts on the offensive line and the progress. Well, and you can fact check me on this, Drew, but I think this is correct. I don't even think Flood was the, the full uh, the full-time O-line coach. I think he was the B-team guy when he was with the Falcons. I you're right. Wrong on that, he he was an B-team. assistant O-line coach, and then the second year he was a consultant, but you're correct. He was not the yeah. O-line coach. He was, though, for a long time at Rutgers, and they won That's football right. games there, which is extremely hard to do. That's exactly right. And, you know, like we talked about on, on Fowler's show earlier, I mean, I, I think he brings a you know, like a lot of these, you know, Nick Saban assistants over the years, he's got a really good resume as far as his coaching career, long-time O-line coach, you know, was never a coordinator, became the head coach at Rutgers, had some success. Um, you know, he's, he's been a recruiter for a long time on the East Coast. 
So he's got a lot of good relationships there. Uh, you know, I know that it didn't take very long for the returning offensive lineman to really take a, a shining to him. Um, they, they feel like he's kind of an old-school taskmaster, kind of in the, you know, the same breath as a Joe Pendry. Obviously, he doesn't have the same O-line coach resume that Joe Pendry does, but um, he's, he's also never had the opportunity to work with the Chris Samuels and the, the Jedrick Wills of the world either. So, um, you know, he's got a different type of football player, a different type of offensive line prospect that he's going to be working with at Alabama. And, uh, but I, I know guys like Jedrick Wills, you know, speaks real highly of him. Alex Leatherwood is said to have been the one that's really benefited the most from him, um, has really meshed with him well with the player-coach relationship. Um, you know, as far as the Dickerson, um, you know, talk, I, I'm not really surprised by it. I was very excited that, you know, right out of the gate that Kyle Flood eliminated any possibilities of Landon Dickerson playing left or right tackle at Alabama because he struggled in the ACC uh, trying to do that for, for Florida State. So um, I think he's an interior guy only. You know, maybe you could get away with him surviving as a right tackle and in an injury pinch, but I don't think it would be a pretty pretty picture. Uh, but, you know, I think he's got a chance to, you know, do some good things at Alabama at, at any of the interior positions. You know, I think they would like to see him win that starting center job, um, you know, because you, you would have him being a physical presence at center with, with two physical guys on either side of him, you know, whether it's Evan Neal at left guard or, uh, you know, guys like Ikior or uh, uh, Womack, you know, until Deontay Brown comes back, and I expect him to win that position when he does come back after the four-game suspension. So now all of a sudden you've got, you know, uh, a real, real physical, um, especially from right tackle to left guard. I think it's still to be determined whether or not Leatherwood's going to be a physical run blocker at left tackle. Um, but, you know, that, that'll be a big change from where they've been in the past. You know, Pierce Baker was more of a finesse guy um, in the last, you know, three or four years at guard. So, I mean, you're going back to, uh, you, know, back, you know, I think they're going to try and get back to where they mash people, move them off the ball and, uh, you know, kind of get back to that physical mindset. I still think there's going to be some, uh, you know, zone read, um, you know, type principles, um, mainly because, you know, Tua is so good at it. You know, he proved that last year. And, and you know, I think all these running backs have come out of that that type of offense in high school. But I, I'm really excited about the, the 2019 offensive line. I think they are uh, very, very deep and very talented all the way across the board. Maybe – you know, they're, they're missing, you know, one, maybe two offensive tackles. But I think when you consider that, you know, both Evan Neal and Matt Womack could get over there, um, you know, in, in the unfortunate chance that, uh, you know, Wills or Leatherwood gets hurt, you know, maybe Lashley finally the light comes on with him. But, you know, I think certainly at the, the two guard spots and the center spot, they're, they're very deep and talented. And, you know, for, for, for an SEC team, I think they've got, you know, four offensive tackles that they feel really comfortable with and maybe a fifth one in uh, Scott Lashley. But I would still put an asterisk by his name, you know, until I see him do it, you know, at the SEC level on Saturday. And stylistically with this offensive line, with the if Dickerson is in the pivot, would you say he's I, – I would, I would look at it more of a style of his play that I've, look, that I've watched so far as a Bradley Bozeman with a lot of power. Uh, and then – because Ryan Kelly – and of course, as you said, Ross Piercebaker were more 
uh, you know, technician kind of guys. Still, Brian had a lot of talent, was a very good athlete. Uh, but I, I think, uh, you, you know, Bozeman, who's now with the Baltimore Ravens, was more of a power guy at the center spot. That that kind of looks like, to me, to be comparison to Landon Dickerson. What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it might be a little bit, uh, you know, unfair to, you know, yeah, Kelly wasn't the, the you know, he certainly wasn't DJ Fluke or, or uh, right. Vance Warmack you know, at the point of attack. But, man, that guy could get up to the next level and get a hat on a linebacker as good as anybody I've ever seen from the center position. And, obviously, Very thick. When, you yep. see how high, when, when you see how high he was taken in the NFL draft and what he's done when he's been healthy uh, since he's been there, that speaks for itself. But yeah, I think he's uh, probably got, you know, comparable physicality to Bozeman, but closer to the athleticism um, of Kelly, I think, would be the – you know, the, the best way to describe his play. Um, you know, he, he's a, he's a, you know, if you look at him on the hoof, he's a powerfully built guy. Um, he's got good length. He's, he's taller than your, your normal center. You know, I think he compares more favorably and, you know, height and length to Kelly versus, you know, Bozeman and, and Pierce Baker. But, you know, certainly a big, big pickup for, for Nick Saban and this Alabama football program to get a guy to, you know, transfer out from Florida State and, uh, you know, come up here and be a part of this championship program. And then you, you expect, as you said, uh, Cornbread, Deontay Brown, to re-establish uh, himself in the starting lineup uh, in October. Uh, would that be back at right guard and uh, Emil Ekior moving out of the lineup and then Ekior be maybe that, that, that sixth guy uh, that can play uh, all three spots in the interior? I'm sorry, Drew, one more time you broke up on me. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, with 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 uh, Deontay Brown, when he comes back in October, you felt like he'd move into that starting lineup. Would that be in your mind at right guard, where Emil Ekiord become maybe that swing guy inside that could play all three of the interior positions? Yeah, yeah, I think you know, I think you've got a lot of swing guys. I mean, Evan Neal can play, you know, both tackle positions, both guard positions. Womack can play every position. Um, at a high level on the O-line other than center. Um, you know, I think Owens is a swing guy on the inside, and uh, and certainly EQ. I think you've got a lot of guys that have been cross-trained. You know, Jedrick Wills is another guy that can play all five positions, and that's not real, real normal, uh, certainly not the norm for, for most college football programs to have, you know, that many just, you know, because most people don't think of elite athletes when you speak of offensive linemen. But there are a lot, a lot of high NFL draft choices in that O-line room right now. And, uh, I mean, you know, uh, he, he wasn't the best I've ever seen at it. But, you know, Leatherwood, you know, was a starter all year long last year at right guard. Um, so, you know, he can play multiple positions. And so that, that's a really, really positive, you know, for your program. If you've got, you know, got a guy that goes down where you can shift other guys in there and, you know, you've got some young, talented guys. I mean, you can't even say that. Leatherwood and Wills are young anymore. Um, you know, they're they're both two-year starters now, uh, going into you know their second years of being starters. Hell, Wills probably should have started as a true freshman. Truth be told, um, so you know it's it's a really good dynamic. I think you know you've got uh, some some older, experienced guys. A guy like Matt Womack has been a starter. Um, so there's a lot of experience there mixed in with some youth and inexperience. But they're they're very talented across the board, no doubt about it. Yes, they are, no question, and uh, I think they have a lot of potential to be a 2012-type offensive line with a lot of power, 
Uh, and, you know, they struggle a little early in pass protection, especially Fluker, but they hit their stride after that game against Western Kentucky. And then in the playoff, uh, they were just simply outstanding. Or, excuse me, not the playoff, the BCS run, because I always have to remind myself, in 2012, they won the BCS, but they won the SC championship game over the Dogs in that comeback. I ran the football, and then we know what they did against Notre Dame. They just absolutely eviscerated uh, the Notre Dame fighting Irish uh, by running the football at will with Eddie Lacy. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, with T.J. Yeldon and William, this style of offense under Steve Sarkeesian, I think it's going to be a lot more like that offense was with A.J. McCarron, a really good set of wide receivers led by Amari Cooper, Kevin Norwood. I think Alabama is going to get back to running the football downhill, play actioning quite a bit to help Tua Tungavailoa. Tua will still make explosive plays, but I still wouldn't be surprised if we had 2,000-yard rushers maybe a 1,200-yard year from Najee Harris and 1,000 yards from Brian Robinson. I think this O-line and these running backs are capable of producing big numbers. Uh, and I think Steve Sarkeesian, I mean, if you look at his history, I know I agree with you, there's still going to be some zone read uh, and some RPOs, but I still think that the backbone of the offense is going to be a pro-style running attack and then helping Tua Tungvaloa try to keep him clean and keep him upright and uh, be uh, uh, in a much better shape physically down the stretch of the season. Yeah, you know, you made me you made me chuckle a little bit there because you uh, just reminded me you brought up one of the one of my favorite Alabama fan base meltdowns of all time with that 2012 Western Kentucky game <laughs> when DJ Fluker I know gave up four sacks. It might have even been five, and everybody started screaming, "Oh man, that guy sucks!" and get him out of there and, you know, fast forward to the following April and he was a first-round draft pick. So, um, you know, you, you open the season against uh, Michigan and you got to get all amped up for that and you got an underrated uh, uh, Willie Taggart Western Kentucky team coming to town and nobody took them serious. And, you know, poor uh, Danny Jesus gives up a few sacks and, you know, everybody's ready to fire him. So. Uh, but, yeah, I agree. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how Steve Sarkeesian puts his, you know, blueprint on this 2019 offense. I mean, I think if you go back and look at what he did at USC, it certainly had, um, you know, a lot more pro-style stuff. But when you look at what he did at Washington, um, that was certainly more of a spread-up tempo with Jake Locker. And uh, I, I, I had no clue what he did with the Falcons because I don't watch pro football. But, um, you know, he's, he's done a lot of different things at different places. And, and you know, I, I know he has, um, you know, made some comments in private that, you know, if, if this isn't more talented, um, more talented of an offense from top to bottom, um, it certainly is comparable to, you know, those 2003, 2004 USC teams that he had to work with out there in Los Angeles, which is very high praise. Might have lost Drew, William. And uh, whoop. Whoop. And I have no idea where Drew was going next because you just soliloquied. So uh, this is going to be kind of a it's going to be kind of a tap dance. Um, so so you were you were talking offensive line let's let's just go to the other side of the ball and, and, and you know I, I unfortunately had to miss the scrimmage due to some family folks and i've kind of kept my ear to the ground talking to some people so so i want to ask you william you know we've done a lot of offensive side of the ball what do you see from this defensive line and where do you think they're going to be you know who, who are the guys that are going to take over the quinn and williams job etc 
Well, I think, you know, certainly he hasn't had a chance to show it in fall camp, but in brief spurts because he's been hurt. But, you know, I, I think D.J. Dale is going to prove to be kind of a combination of Deron Payne and Quentin Williams. I think he's got the run-stuffing ability of, of Payne and, you know, I think he's shown some flashes of being a little quick twitch as a pass rusher like Quentin Williams. I mean, this kid's special, um, Thomas, and, and I, you know, I doubt it's going to affect his development missing the amount of fall camp that he did because he was so dominant right out of the gate. During spring practice, blew right past Padarian Mathis, who's a pretty good young player in his own right. But, you know, he, he, people are going to look at him and just, you know, kind of like Quentin Williams was listed as a nose guard, um, you know, I think most people with a football IQ north of 70 will realize that Quentin Williams is a lot more than just your standard 3-4 uh, nose guard. And, uh, you know, I think Dale's got that same type of, of potential to, to, you know, be dominant as a young player, much in the – even though, you know, Quentin didn't do it as a true freshman. He was redshirted when he – his first year that he was eligible to play in uh, 2017, you saw the flashes when he would come in off the bench – you know, certainly you saw Payne get in there as a true freshman and, and blow people away early on. So um, I certainly I think D.J. Dale is going to be one of those guys. You know, I'm, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. Hell, it took me almost a year to learn how to uh, pronounce Tua's last name. But, you know, Justin Abogier, I think, is proven to be maybe one step behind Dale um, as far as being the, the second best, second most ready to play true freshman defensive lineman, I think he's going to really have a big impact. You know, coming in to give either LeBron Ray or Raquan Davis a blow. Um, you know, they've got some really good, you know, young players. Fidarian Mathis is going to play a lot for them. Um, you know, I think a lot of people saw the, you know, him, him lose that job in the spring to DJ Dale. They're like, oh, that guy's not any good. No, he's a good player. It's just Dale's a little bit better. So that that's some good quality depth, you know, that you've got there um, on the interior of the defensive line. You know, I, we'll have to wait and see, you know, how long Stephon Wynn is out. He was the guy that was coming. You know, and they've still got guys like Christian Barrymore, um, you know, that are, that are, you know, I think ready to take that next move. And then, you know, you've got some guys that I think, um, they're still going to they're going to use the, the the month of September to determine whether or not guys like Antonio Alfano, uh, Byron Young, uh, Braylon Ingraham, you know, are those guys going to be a, in the rotation, or are those guys that they're going to redshirt? You know, in a perfect world, I think they'd like to redshirt some of those guys, at least two out of those three. But we'll just have to wait and see how the injury situation plays out. Uh, but you know, really, Thomas, I think you know since we talked last week. You know, the, the biggest storyline has been, um, you know, Christian Harris kind of tossing his cap, uh, you know, in there to, to make a, a run at that Will Linebacker starting job. He had a monster scrimmage yesterday. Um, and, and, you know, and the fact that he has flashed, we drew and I were talking about this on Ryan Fowler's show earlier. I don't think anybody ever doubted his physical um, attributes and then you know the guy was athletic enough to play tailback and quarterback in high school at you know 6'2 230 pounds but you know when you look out there and you see guys like Reggie Ragland and Reuben Foster struggle to get on the field until uh, you know year two other than being special teams players and you know in both their cases I think it was year three before they became full-time starters and they were full-time linebackers in high school this kid wasn't so you, you just had to kind of hold your breath just to see how quickly he could, you know, digest the, the mental side of things and, and that, you know, 
ultra thick Alabama defensive playbook. And at least, you know, through the two scrimmages, he looks like he's pretty close to uh, mastering the mental side of it as well. So, um, you know, I, you know, I still think Shane Lee is going to have something to say about that position. Um, you know, if it is uh, Moses and, you know, Harris are the first two guys, Lee's probably going to be the first guy off the bench, followed by uh, Jalen Moody and, and uh, Lee Cahoe. Uh, but, you know, there's there's been some really positive stuff, um, you know, that have gone on over there on the defensive side of the football. Jerez Parks looks like he's going to be a guy that provides – you know, some quality depth at outside linebacker. You've had some nice things, um, you know, take place in the defensive backfield with, uh, you know, Trevon Diggs and Josh Job kind of nailing down those corner jobs, and it's allowed Patrick Sertain to, you know, move inside to the, to the uh, uh, you know, that nickel star position. And, you know, you've got uh, uh, Shaheen Carter and, and – uh, um, Xavier McKinney and then Maiden back there. So it's, it's uh, you know, we'll have to see, you know, what Pete Golden can do, getting them all lined up and getting the communication down. But there's no shortage of talent, that's for sure. I hear you, William. I, I have to say, even though we no longer do this show live, occasionally I've got to, uh, got to put a little jolt through the hamster wheels. But we've got Drew back. Drew, we were just talking a little bit of defensive line, defensive line, actually more front seven than anything. But uh, I have no idea where you're going with your line of questioning. So I was just tap dancing, to be honest with you. <laughs> hey guys, have you got me? We got you. Go ahead. We okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm on the, uh, I'm on my phone here. Uh, obviously I'm having some issues here with the, uh, with the Skype uh, via the, the board. Uh, but uh, just something does crapped out on me again, but, uh, like I said, I mean, what my, my line of questioning was going to be offensively with uh, with the potential of this group. The biggest question still seems to be the tight end spot, uh, you know, and uh, the, I, I think Giles Amos, from what I understand, he caught three or four passes, uh, you know, uh, in the scrimmage for Alabama. So he did a really nice job, I think. And I still think he's solidifying his role with the ones. Didn't see a lot of Major Tennyson, from what I understand. Uh, and then, you know, as far as Miller Forstall, he didn't scrimmage at all. So Cameron Latu was mostly with the twos. I think he caught about seven passes, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, so he looks like he's still trying to develop. I know Nick Saban was quoted uh, afterwards as being very high on, uh, on the young player, uh, Jaleel Billingsley from Chicago. And he's somebody that I still think needs to get bigger. He has a chance to be dynamic, but not ready yet. I still think, though, that the uh, the biggest uh, question heading into the season offensively is tied in. Miller Forstall, we haven't seen him at all. So I'm going to be interested to see. I know he just recently returned to practice. The, the version of Miller we get uh, for, for the first game against Duke, how much we see of Giles Amos and then Major Tennyson. Because I think tied in right now to me, because – I, I was saying the, the wide receiver room is the deepest in, in college football. And quite frankly, if the injury uh, to uh, Jerome Ford had been a, a long-term one, I, I think they would have moved Slade Bolden to running back because they need bodies there. Uh, and he's versatile enough to do it. He didn't catch any passes that I heard about of significance in the scrimmage on Saturday. He had a good first scrimmage, though. But the tight end spot to me, William, is still somewhat of a question as uh, fall camp is about to uh, wrap up. 
Yeah, it is. And I, I got a lot of positive feedback about Latte's performance on Saturday. You know, maybe he can be the guy that, that you know, kind of fills that um, Miller Forest all role until he's 100%. Um, I don't know if that's going to be for the Duke game or not. It may extend a little bit further into September. But, you know, certainly good for the depth and the, the tight end H-back room for both he and, uh, you know, Amos to kind of be coming on. And also the, um, you know, the bright spot with Billingsley as well. I mean, really the, the guy that you don't really hear anything about and is just kind of, you know, slinked off into the shadows as far as making a move. Um, it is major tennis, and I haven't heard anything good or bad about him, which tends to lead me to believe that he hasn't done a whole lot, um, which, which you know, w- would be a good thing for Alabama if he could because he probably has the the closest thing to a, an inline tight end body of anybody on the roster outside of Amos. So, um, But, you know, it is good to see those guys emerging in that H-back, uh, H-back role. And I totally agree with you. I mean, this has gotten to be almost beyond ridiculous um, with the talent and the depth and Alabama's wide receiver um, room. And, you know, with some of the stuff that's going on in recruiting right now, with them circling back around with some bigger-bodied wide receivers that are committed to other schools, um, I don't think they're done, uh, you know, with that position in recruiting. You might see one guy that I'm not going to name his name, that if he doesn't have a big senior year, um, that you might see him go by the wayside to make room for some of these higher-rated, bigger-bodied wide receivers that will just increase the the talent in that wide receiver room. Yeah, it really will. The wide receiver group is just an extremely talented group. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited to see what they can accomplish uh, under this uh, offensive staff, no question about it. We've talked about the offensive line and how powerful we think that group can be. Uh, I think they're uh, – they, and, we, and we were uh, kind of uh, expanding on the role that we think uh, Deontay Brown could have going forward. Uh, you know, and we, and we talked about the running backs a little bit. But I think a very encouraging thing we heard too is Mac Jones. Uh, he, he certainly had another solid scrimmage. He did have an interception from what I understand on a tip ball by Jordan Battle. And we'll talk about Battle a little later. Uh, but certainly uh, very excited, uh, you know, to uh, for, for Mac because I, I, I have said this. I mean, you know, I think when you look at Georgia and their inexperience in Clemson, uh, Mac Jones certainly played some last year. His progress is huge because if Tua were to go down, I, I don't I still am not convinced that Mac Jones could get Alabama to the national championship as far as win at all. But I think he could definitely. Uh, direct Alabama to 10-plus wins in a, in a really good season. And I think it's Nick Saban talked about him after the scrimmage being well ahead in the number two race because Talia once again had moments but is still developing. And it's also good for recruiting because you, when you look at it, they're still in the sweepstakes for Bryce Young. And we know that, uh, that Talia will improve as the season goes on. And then Bryce Young will enter the fray uh, if should he sign with Alabama this spring. But Mac Jones' development is key because Alabama needs to feel confident in their backup quarterback. He's certainly not Jalen Hurts from a talent perspective and from experience, but him maturing is, I think, big for this offense to have a solid option at, at, at the backup QB. No, I agree totally, and and want to want to certainly say congratulations to Jalen Hurts. You know, it was announced today that he was named yeah. starter for Oklahoma. Uh, which is a big moment for him. 
Uh, but I, I agree with you about Mac Jones. I mean, uh, you know, the guy's, you know, shown so many good flashes in his first two years on campus. Uh, just couldn't seem to put it all together at one time. Um, you know, like we talked about last week, I've seen him, you know, go out there and look like he was going to be the, the starter one day at Alabama in a scrimmage in the spring. And I go out there the next week and I feel like I'm watching Blake Barnett 2.0. And uh, it sounds like he's starting to eliminate his mistakes. He's starting to become a little bit better from putting the previous bad play behind him and move on to the next play. And um, I, I'm, I'm glad to see him nail that job down and kind of looking forward to seeing him playing a lot, you know, in the month of September. He, he should really um, get a lot of play in time and, Hopefully we can see him and Jalen Waddle hook up on some of those explosive plays like they did um, in, in last fall in the latter part of the season. Yeah, I mean that would be big. If uh, no question about it, if uh, if uh, you know if if Mac Jones can get some playing time early and continue to gain confidence, no question about it. And I know William, you already talked about the defensive line and its development, but let, we we've kind of buried the lead a little bit. Besides the injury to Jerome Ford, the other situation that was very, very important uh, and I thought significant was Christian Harris uh, being with the ones throughout the scrimmage. Uh, the week before, he saw time with the, a little bit with the ones, mostly with the twos and the threes. Uh, but much like Landon Dickerson, he's been kind of fast-tracked. He's a guy like a Minka Fitzpatrick who didn't come through in the spring. It was not here since May. He's had a rapid rise. He was a guy in high school that played mostly uh, wide receiver and defensive back. Didn't play a lot of linebacker until the all-star circuits. Uh, you know, I believe maybe the, uh, the Under Armour game for Christian Harris. He was flipped from Texas A&M uh, by Nick Saban, who really liked him as a jumbo athlete. 6'2", 244 pounds. I know he, was, he told people that he felt like either as a safety or linebacker, he'd be an NFL player. He's certainly grown into a linebacker, but He's also got to be kind of a rare breed like Minka, where mentally he's picking things up pretty quickly. I think it's very significant, uh, you know, uh, that, uh, that, that, uh, that, that, uh, that Christian Harris has ascended to the top of the depth chart. I, and I don't take it as a affront to the other middle linebackers. Uh, and I know a lot of this is due to an injury to an experienced player like Joshua McMillan. But Christian Harris, I think, is a special guy who has got a chance to be a great player. Yeah, you know, and I, like we talked about, Drew, earlier, uh, Thomas and I touched this on, touched on this a little bit when you got disconnected. You know, I, I don't think anybody ever doubted Christian Harris's athletic ability, you know, or his measurables, or, or, po or the possibility of him becoming a starter, um, you know, further down the road. Um, it's just been amazing to me that a guy that was never a full-time linebacker in high school um, you know, was a running back and a corner and safety and, you know, kind of a, a skill guy, um, you know, has, has been able to come in and do this. You know, certainly I think we'll have to kind of hold our breath a little bit and see if he can hold it all together and, you know, keep it up for, you know, when they start prepping for the Duke game, um, you know, because it's, it's a lot different when you start playing, you know, prepping for another uh, team versus practicing against, you know, they know, you know, that these scrimmages, the down and distance and the formation, and, it, you know, they see the same stuff every day. And I'm certainly not trying to um, discount anything that Christian Harris has done. You know, the, the, the fact that he's where he is right now in the, the depth chart for that Will Linebacker spot is absolutely amazing to me. 
And, you know, I think it's it's working out, you know, very well for Nick Saban and Pete Golding. I mean, you're probably going to see, you know, Christian Harris and Jalen Moody and Ali Kaho, you know, be those three guys um, other than Dylan Moses. Um, you know, maybe there's some other guys that emerge there, but, you know, they, they certainly have um, all done some good things and shown some promise. Um, after the injury to Joshua McMillan, you know, Thomas and I discussed a little bit. Um, we touched on, uh, you know, Jerez Parks having a nice scrimmage at outside linebacker Saturday. And, uh, you know, he'll be able to provide some good depth there. And, uh, you know, how the defensive backfield has been shuffled around a little bit with, with Diggs and Job at corner and, you know, Sertain and Shaheen Carter and, um, you know, those guys on the, the inside there um, in, in the nickel and dime packages and stuff. So there, there's a lot of really positive things with some, you know, some young ball players going on over there. It's, it's, it's kind of scary to think that, you know, Shaheen Carter and um, Trevon Diggs and maybe even to a lesser extent Xavier McKinney are the veterans back there in that defensive backfield. Yeah, it really is. And speaking of Shy Carter, from what we understand, he was uh, absent from the scrimmage, William. So, uh, you know, that's uh, that's very interesting to me that he wasn't there. Uh, you know, I don't, we don't think it was an injury or anything like that. Probably either a sickness, an illness, or a family situation. But he's going to be a huge part of it. He can play, uh, you know, all these different positions. He would have been, I think, or I think he's going to be the free safety against Duke. I think that top six uh, is going to be, as we said, the third safety being Jared Maiden and then uh, and allowing Xavier McKinney to slide down to the money and be able to play the run and the pass. And then, of course, uh, you know, the, the uh, third corner uh, being uh, Josh Job. So uh, it, when they're in nickel, so you can, you'll see Patrick Sertain at the, uh, you know, at the star spot. But certainly uh, a lot of these young DBs, I think that's another area. You talked about Xavier McKinney being a leader and then uh, Shy Carter, Jared Maiden. There are some seniors back there. Uh, with a lot of experience for Alabama and Trevon Diggs, so they've got a nice experience of, of uh, a blend of excuse me of experience and youth. Uh, I'm excited about it though, that top six, but then they've got other guys like Demarco Hellams, uh, who went out for a little bit with a little bit of an injury situation, but came back uh, from what I understand. He, he he looks like a young Mark Barron back there, and then the one to watch. And I, somebody asked me this on Twitter, and I answered it. He got an interception. The- Mac Jones in the during the spur, during the uh, excuse me the second scrimmage uh, and that is Jordan Battle from St. Thomas Aquinas. They flipped him from Ohio State once Urban Meyer, you know, decided to quote unquote retire again and leave Ohio State. I know Nick Saban's very high on him. He got a, an interception on the tip ball. I still think he's someone that'll push those starters. So if anybody slacks off, you've got guy young guys like Demarco Hellams. You've got uh, certainly uh, Jordan Battle. Even Scooby Carter. Scooby Carter was abused a couple of times by uh, J- Jerry Judy. But like I tried to tell some people, and of course Brandon Turnage as well, they gave up completions. It was mostly when the ones were moving the ball, it was against the twos because they didn't do a lot of ones-on-ones. But as I told people, William, you know, you, you can't get discouraged at these young DBs when they're going up against four first-round draft choices or at worst second round, uh, a second-round pick maybe with Devontae Smith. I still think the other three are locked first-rounders. I think Smith could obviously be a first-rounder. So with these elite wide receivers, you've got to have a short memory. But I really like the young talent, uh, you know, including Marcus Banks as well in this uh, in this defensive backfield. 
Yeah, and I think also, too, you, you've got to factor in that there's a quarterback throwing those elite wide receivers' balls, putting them in spots that nobody can catch them but the wide receiver as well. So that's that, that makes those cover guys' jobs even harder than normal. Um, and, yeah, I think it is great that, you know, guys like Jordan Banks and Scooby Carter and, and those young guys are getting out there and, um, you know, getting thrown to the wolves. And, you know, God, if they can – you know, just go 50-50 and win half their battles with, with guys like Jerry Judy and Jalen Waddle. Uh, the future is going to be very bright for them. What a, what a great way to get to practice every day. You know, it's almost like, uh, uh, you know, Deion Sanders having to cover Jerry Rice in practice every day when they were with the 49ers um, together. So, um, if you're a defensive back at Alabama, I mean, there's, there's no vacation days in practice. Um, you, you better, you know, lace your cleats up and then be ready to go, you know, especially when you've got a, you know, a, a high draft pick, high first round draft pick, your quarterback throwing them the football. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the, you got to have a short memory and iron sharpens iron. And I think that, you know, they've recruited really well in that 2019 class in the defensive backfield. Uh, and I'm very excited about it. And then outside linebacker wise, William, I thought another significant development. We didn't see Terrell Lewis at all. That's not that shouldn't be a surprise. He is, you know, been a guy that they're not going to take any chances with. I mean, he's had some of the worst injury luck. He's an elite talent, a top twenty draft pick if he's healthy. He just hasn't been. So they weren't going to take any chances with him. You know, Dylan Moses. We talked about he did play the majority of the scrimmage this week. Was held out a week ago because we. I've said he's the maybe the most important piece. But again, they held out Terrell Lewis. They had, uh, you know, Anthony Jennings on a pitch count. But you got to see a lot of these young guys. You already mentioned Jerez Parks. I think he had a sack against the threes. But the two that I thought were really exciting were, you know, were King Makuda, who had one and a half to two sacks. He got two a couple times, one time combined with Byron Young. But, you know, Byron Young's another good young defensive lineman. But King Makuda, who really wasn't talked about a lot in the recruiting class. People were were more worried about, uh, you know, uh, you know, Chris Bogle down the stretch, who ended up at Florida. They were worried about losing him. Uh, and then, you know, they, they didn't really focus on keeping King Makuta away from Georgia. And King Makuta is a heck of a talent. I still think he's going to be a guy that's on the third down rabbit package. And then Kevin Harris almost got to it one time. Kevin Harris is a guy uh, that I think is going to be brought along, kind of like Christian Miller. I, I still think we'll see him in four games, William. He still may redshirt, but he's got to get bigger. But I really think King Makuta took some steps forward. I think he passed Ben Davis on the depth chart right now. Uh, and I think when you combine King Makuta and Chris Allen behind who I think could be the best duo Alabama's ever had, even better than Ryan Anderson uh, when he was uh, there, when he was, uh, you know, uh, uh, that 2016 group with Tim Williams, I think that, uh, that, uh, you know, that Anthony Jennings and Terrell Lewis can be an elite duo. But when you have guys like Chris Allen and King Makuta behind them, I think Alabama's pass rush is going to be night and day better than it was a year ago. Yeah, and I think that's also, you know, one of the, the best storylines of the summer is, uh, you know, how quickly the, the strength and conditioning staff was able to reshape and, um, change, uh, you know, King's body. He, he put on a lot of weight, you know, close to 20 pounds um, in a month and a half, and it looks like he's adjusted to the weight gain and hasn't lost a step, um, you know, as a pass rusher. So, you know, he's up there in the low 250s now. 
um, which makes him one of the bigger, you know, outside linebackers on the roster outside of Anthony Jennings. So, uh, you know, he, he looks like he's going to be physically ready to play. Um, yeah, I would like – that's one of the things that I'm really looking forward to. Um, Thomas and I kind of touched on it when you got disconnected, is, is those young defensive linemen. Um, you know, certainly they're going to want to redshirt a couple of them if they can, if they can afford to based on injuries. But, man, I'm, I'm really looking forward in the month of September – you know, seeing, you know, Anthony Alfano's, Anthony Alfano's progress, Byron Young's development, Braylon Ingraham, you know, Softshire, you know, there's still four guys over there that, that could factor in, um, you know, based on the depth chart in front of them. And if, if they show that they're ready to play, if they're ready to play, they're going to play them. Um, so yeah, I'm really they, looking forward yeah, to seeing go ahead. some of those, you know, second. I'm kind of looking forward to seeing some of those second and third tier guys you know, that they'll get the four games out of before they have to put the red shirt on them if that's what they choose to do because there's some really, really, uh, you know, talented guys on that third-team Alabama defensive line right now. Yeah, there are. I mean, Christian Barmore had some moments this uh, during this scrimmage, and he's been with the two. So he had to move up because of Stephon Wynn Jr.'s injury, but I think that was an advantage for him. Justin DeBogby, he's been with the first group, but he'll be with that second group, William. To beat a Masika the same way, I think they're developing some depth along that defensive line. And, of course, Ismail Sopcher, we talked about him, and Antonio Alfano, though I didn't remember seeing Alfano. I know he got, got a little bit banged up in practice this week. I don't think he played a lot on Saturday. Uh, but, again, uh, I, in the future, he still has a chance to be a really good player. Same way with Braylon Ingraham, uh, no doubt about it. But I think overall – and then for the final area is the kicking game, William. Uh, the, the punting was a little inconsistent. Will Reichert, from what I understand, had one miss hit, uh, a couple of shorter ones by, by uh, Skylar DeLong, but he was nowhere near uh, the, the absolute, you know, uh, have a drink, uh, t- t- chug whatever beverage of your choice uh, to, to soothe your pain we saw in the spring of last year and into the early season. Skylar DeLong still hit several good ones, as did Will Riker. I thought the punting was still pretty solid and has come a long way since a year ago. And then Riker, from what we understand, only missed one field goal. It looks like the kicking is in as solid a shape as we've seen in a long time right now through two scrimmages. Now, they have to do it in a real game against Duke. But I, I think, and we've heard Saban really laud Will Riker. I think the kicking game is in a pretty good place right now. Yeah, I do too, and certainly his versatility, being able to to do both, is is a big part of that. Um, you know, I think he's shown really, really good accuracy from uh, 45 yards in uh, throughout fall camp, and you know, you you've got guys. You know, maybe Bulova stays the kickoff guy, um, but but the fact that he's able to be, you know, the the best place kicker, and maybe at worst case, the second best punter. Still could end up being the guy. We don't know yet, and certainly after the way that we you know, wait and see how the season plays out. But, you know, I think there is a chance finally after years and years of uh, disenchantment by the Alabama fan base, and certainly with uh, leading the NCAA and missed extra points last year, it's, it's deservedly so that uh, people would hold their breath and, like you said, drown their sorrows after a touchdown or a field goal attempt. Um, last year and certainly in the years prior to that, that it looks like some help's finally on the way. It is, no doubt. Well, William, uh, you know, what, in your opinion, 
What uh, is the biggest key uh, or what's the biggest storyline for Alabama now headed uh, into the preparation for Duke? I mean, we've seen some, some development along the uh, tight end front with Giles Amos continuing his ascent. Uh, and we talked, but we haven't seen a lot of Miller Forrestal. And then we talked about the offensive line, Landon Dickerson looks to be, he and Chris Owens, that battle still has to be completed. And then, of course, we've had the injuries, and now Christian Harris, uh, you know, rising to the forefront. Markel Benton played well a week ago. But what's the biggest things you're going to be looking for in these last couple of weeks in practice? And they'll, they're about to hit the practice field right now in the PM to get away from the heat uh, for the Crimson Tide. But what's the biggest things you're going to be watching for going forward? Well, I think the biggest thing that has to happen between now and uh, um, a week from this Saturday is, you know, you've got to dial it back a little bit and, and lessen the physicality and, and increase the uh, the mental uptick. Um, you know, you're going to start game preparation. It becomes, uh, you know, very important that the, the players recover, um, get their legs back under them. That'll happen naturally once school starts in a couple of days. But, you know, to get them, get their legs back under them, get them fresh, get the nagging injuries totally healed. Uh, but, but I think they've answered a lot of questions. You know, I think, you know, to me, I think the, the, the biggest keys are, you know, not having any more injuries at the running back spot. Um, Mac Jones continuing to solidify himself as the second-team quarterback. And – you know, probably Christian Harris, you know, can he nail down that, that starting will linebacker job? I'm not as concerned about the tight end H back position as some people might be, because I'm not convinced it's going to be a focal part of the offense this year. Um, I know it wouldn't be if I was the offensive coordinator, not with that stable of wide receivers. Um, I, I just don't think there's a lot of questions that, that are really left to be answered. Um, you know, they've had a good fall camp. A lot of questions have been answered. Um, you know, get everybody healthy. You know, you don't want to lose a, you know, a guy like Jerry Judy or, or a, a Patrick Sertain to, you know, a stupid injury in practice. You know, you don't want to have Terrell Lewis go to the indoor complex at midnight and pretend he's a cornerback in seven-on-seven again. Um, so, you know, you just want to kind of hold your breath, get everybody healthy, and, uh, you know, start game prep for Duke. And, uh, you know, I know this is – an exciting time for, for college football fans everywhere. Um, you know, we got the the first game this Saturday, the first real game anyway, with, uh, you know, Miami and Florida facing off on Saturday. I'm looking forward to that. And it's 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 honest, guys. I mean, we're, um, you know, right there this Saturday with this thing getting kicked off. I can't wait. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be great. And uh, as we're wrapping it up, Thomas, uh, anything you wanted to add about uh, what you're waiting for? Uh, this sounds terrible, but, you know, kickoff, it's, it's fun to talk about, you know, you've seen now two scrimmages or at least talked about two scrimmages and this it's, it's time to strap them up. It's time to go see what this team's about. I think it's, I said this last week and I'll sound like a broken record, but I'll say it again. I think it's very fair for Alabama fans to be extremely excited about this team. Uh, I think if Alabama can grow like we've seen them grow in the in the past few years, you know, their first really tough game is in mid-October against Texas A&M. So they've got some time to sort of get their stuff straight. But there's no reason that 
barring another set of catastrophic injuries, and even then I don't think it's a foregone conclusion, that Alabama fans shouldn't expect to be at least, you know, leading the SEC West by the middle, by the end of October, going into a pretty tough November, and, you know, waiting by the middle of November for the whoever's going to come out of the East. So, I mean, that, that's, that's about all I can ask for as an Alabama football fan. Yeah, I think Alabama is definitely good enough to win the national championship if things go a certain way. But when we, when we start talking about that level of expectation, there's a lot of chaos that can happen that a bounce one way or a bounce another, and suddenly the whole thing just detonates, no matter how hard Nick Saban and staff work. So I just, you know, I'm excited. I'm glad football's back. You know me, Drew and William. I'm a numbers guy, so I'm tired of talking season. Give me some, give me some stuff to watch, and give me some data to tear through, and I can paint a picture of a really, a really, really rosy picture with that. And I cannot wait for that myself. Yeah, I can completely agree. And like I say, the things I'm going to watch for is again Landon Dickerson. Can he beat out, uh, you know, Chris Owens at center? Uh, I want to see, you know. Uh, the, the continued development at the tight end. I want to see what Miller Forsall looks like healthy. Hopefully he can get healthy before that first game. Uh, and I, I think Giles Amos is going to be involved. I'm not, I'm still not sold on major Tennyson being a big part of it. We'll see. I just, I don't know that he's uh, going to be able to be a, a guy they can depend on. Uh, but, uh, you know, I know they want an inline blocker, but Giles seems to be a guy that they really think can do that job. Uh, and then defensively, I just want to continue to see, uh, get Terrell Lewis stay healthy. What? Because uh, we we just we've only had our appetites whetted. How good can he be? And then Christian Harris, can he continue this role? I mean, because I was thinking that Markel Benton had put had positioned himself, and then Christian Harris does what he did in practice. I'm really anxious to see if the young freshman uh, from Baton Rouge and guys think about this when they announce those starting lineups potentially in early November. How many? Uh, uh, LSU, Bayou, Bengal fans and coaches are going to be puking in trash cans if they announce the starting lineup and both the inside backers are from Baton Rouge. Hey, guys, I don't want, I, I've got to run. I just wanted to say I enjoyed it and uh, looking forward to doing it again on Sunday. You're right, William. We appreciate the time. But, but, but Thomas, that's going to be quite a, a scene if both those guys are from Baton Rouge. Oh, oh, gosh. You, you know, I have – I have been known on my uh, my infrequent off time to frequent certain message boards that are shared amongst um, various SEC fan bases. In some cases, just because the meltdowns over football are endlessly amusing. You know, I, I want someone's life to where the worst thing that happens in my day is my football team loses and I'm still upset about it, you know, two and three and four days later, you know, I, I will admit I had to kind of heat check myself for the national championship game because I was in Hawaii when that happened. And that was, that, that was a quick turnaround. I can tell you that, but anywho, um, that will be, let's just say the meltdown, or the, 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 the LSU tears will, will be glorious. I'll, I'll use them to brine the pork butt I'm cooking for the next week. Put it to you that way. <laughs> well, that's a good way to end it. Uh, I'm Drew DeArmond, of course, co-host of BAMS Radio for Thomas the Wizard Watts. You just heard his thoughts uh, on that, what uh, could be a very tough.
follow for LSU fans and coaches and supporters of that program. And for William Redfish Barger, who joined us throughout the day, uh, throughout the show, sorry that I dropped off, but Thomas has once again was a champion and was able to get us through this BAMS radio episode. But we'll come to you again next week as we'll, we'll try to delve more into Duke and what they might do to Alabama. Uh, you know, and uh, and David Cutcliffe and what this matchup could mean. And maybe we're going to hear more practice buzz as well. But we'll uh, bring you the next episode of BAMS Radio next week. Uh, for uh, for everyone involved, for Thomas, for William Redfish Barger, I'm Drudy Armin. Good night and roll tide. And we hope you enjoy BAMS Radio this week as we brought you our buzz and thoughts from Scrimmage 2 for the University of Alabama.